Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast Life with Tina. Super excited to be with you guys today. It is a sunny, warm day here on the Alaska homestead. I feel like since we've eased into March, I'm like, where did winter go? (laughs) It's been absolutely amazing. We've had temperatures almost to 50 degrees here the last week. All the snow is starting to melt and it's just beautiful. I've got all the spring and summer vibes going on. I'm ready. I'm ready to do it. But today I am sitting down with you guys with a cup of coffee and just thought I would chat with you about stress, anxiety, ulcers. Like what can stress do to your body physically? It is absolutely mind-blowing what it can do. And just in case you're unaware, I thought we would have a little chat about it. My name is Tina. I'm the host of this podcast show and also the creator of the YouTube channel, Home Free Alaska, where we share from scratch recipes, homeschool life inspiration, and our homesteading journey with you. This podcast is a spinoff of our channel, a behind the scenes look into our life on the homestead. Raw and unfiltered, I share my thoughts on motherhood, marriage, our culture, and our spiritual pursuit as believers. Thanks for joining me. Now let's get on with today's show. So I'm sure it's no surprise, right, that obviously stress is not good for your body. But I don't think that people realize how bad it is for your body. And I think, you know, when I look back on my life, um, I've had a rough life. I, I haven't had it easy But I definitely never considered myself to have had a stressful life until the last few years, just kind of looking back on things. And I'm like, wow, I I really went through the ringer on some things. Uh, My my upbringing as a child, my marriage, you know, life in the military, just all the things. Life was hard. And I just never realized that, you know, I did live a very stressful life. Um, And it probably had more negative effects on me than I realized. When I was growing up, my mom raised us four kids on her own, pretty much. Uh, we, we did have different fathers, and they, they weren't around. My sister's dad passed away when she was very young, and then my brothers had their own dad, and then I had my own dad. And I didn't even know my dad until I was six years old. I think I was six. And my mom had a paternity test done, and they found my dad and uh, sure enough, he was my dad, right? So at that point, he started visiting. We started having some visitation. Uh, that just kind of led into this huge custody battle between my parents because my dad's whole outlook on it was, well, I'm not going to pay child support. And if I'm going to pay child support, then I might as well just take care of her. Uh, but I don't necessarily think my dad was the best candidate for taking care of a child. <laughs> he was quite the, um, how do I put it? He, he didn't want to deal with having children. Uh, he, he wanted to live his own life and do his own thing. And so it really was more out of like a selfish pursuit to not have to pay child support. He thought it would be easier to just take custody of me. And it just turned into years of this battle between my mom and my dad. And I remember, I think I was like eight years old. I had only visited him off and on for two years. I think I was like eight years old. And he was dropping me off from a weekend visit. And he dropped me off on the side of the curb next to our apartment building with my suitcase. And he knelt down next to me. And if I remember correctly, he gave me a hug and he told me that he loved me, but that he would never see me again. And I just remember him driving off, standing there like completely confused. I mean, eight years old, you guys, right? 
so I remember going inside to the apartment and telling my mom what happened and really, uh, you know, this is my mom's version of it. Uh, but I could see this being true because I know my dad now. Um, basically he bought a new truck and had a new truck payment and the, basically the child care, or I'm sorry, the child support payments were just really getting to him. <laughs> it was easier for him to just walk away from having anything to do with his daughter. And so he did, he walked away and evaded child support for years. The next time they found my dad, I was in and out of foster care uh, had, you know, a dysfunctional upbringing with my mom and God love her. But, you know, she, she was an alcoholic. She, she did the best that she could, but I also don't want to make excuses for her. Um, you know, she, she did make some bad choices, but in the end, I always tell my mom, you know, you were the one that stuck it out. You were the one that was always there. Our dads weren't. Uh, they, they chose to walk away. Even my brother's dad, you know, it was difficult for them to be around my mom because sometimes she made things difficult, but I always say no one could ever drive me away from my children. So that was a choice. It was a very clear choice that both of those men made to walk away from their children. And basically my mom said that the child support just became too much for him. He was already very behind on his payments and he evaded child support for years and he owed a lot of money. And when I was like 15 years old, I was in foster care and CPS found my dad and they basically gave me the choice. Do you want to live in foster care or do you want to go live with your dad? And of course, you know, the last I saw of my dad, I was eight years old. So I didn't know anything. So I'm not thinking logically. I'm thinking emotionally. And I'm like, oh, I want to go live with my dad. Like I thought it was going to be the answer to all of my prayers. I thought he was going to be my knight in shining armor. And I was going to have a wonderful life with my dad who lived in Arizona. So I went and lived with my dad when I was 15 years old. Come to find out my dad was a raging alcoholic that drank Seagram 7 every night when he got home from work until he passed out. And his wife was a druggie. And there was constant fights and domestic disputes and cops getting called. And it was just very stressful. And so to grow up the way I did with my mom in the alcoholic home with very bad living conditions sometimes uh, with the abuse that went on there um, to going to my dad where I witnessed an extremely unhealthy marriage life. And uh, it, it was just really stressful. And eventually I met Joe. That's where I met Joe in Arizona. We met in high school, fell in love. And at some point my dad and his wife decided to get a divorce. And basically my dad started bar hopping once he divorced her. And he was calling me at three in the morning on a school night. I was at driving age, you know, 15, 16 years old. And he would call me at three in the morning to come pick him up drunk from the bar. And uh, I basically thought to myself, um, I don't want to be here anymore. Like I'm basically being his parent, right? I'm 15, 16 years old giving him a, a taxi ride home every night when he's drunk from the bars. It just, it wasn't a good situation, you guys. It's not a situation that any child should ever have to live in. And I don't know how, but by golly, living with my mom, living with my dad, all the things I went through as a child, I maintained good grades. I was always on the honor roll, literally always had A's and B's growing up. And I feel like 
it was the only thing in my life that I could control. And so I did control it. I sunk myself into my studies and it mattered to me uh, what my teachers thought. I had some amazing teachers that had a huge impact on me that believed in me and encouraged me and uplifted me and I wanted to make them proud. And I didn't really get that at home, so I found it in school. But I knew that living with my dad wasn't gonna work out anymore. It was just a really bad situation. And when I was 17 years old, I ran away from my dad's house and I moved to California and I filed for emancipation with the courts in California. Basically, if you don't know, emancipation is basically divorcing your parents before you're 18 years old. And it just so happens that the judge on my emancipation case was the same judge that dealt with all of the court hearings, the custody battle between my mom and my dad when I was younger. How ironic is that? So. This judge was very familiar with the history of my family and uh, what us kids had to grow up with. And all I had to do was show that I had somewhere to live and that I had a job and that I was going to school. And he asked me, the judge asked me, what makes you think you can raise yourself better than your parents? And I just told him, I said, you know, Your Honor, you know the history of my family. And I'm 17 years old. Uh, in, a, in a year, I'll be grown anyway, and I'm already raising myself, you know, and we just kind of had this dialogue back and forth, and he granted the emancipation. I was very surprised. I honestly didn't think that he was going to grant it. Uh, I, I wanted it so badly. I just, I basically figured, you know, life might be hard growing up on my own at 17, taking care of myself. But it couldn't have been any harder than what I had already been dealing with my whole life um, from two parents that were um, almost incapable of taking care of their children. So he, he granted the emancipation. I moved back to Arizona. And just a few months later, I married Joe. At 17 years old, I married Joe. And, you know, we kind of grew up together. We were children. I met Joe when I was 15, married him when I was 17. And we basically taught each other how to do life together, how to do marriage. I certainly never had a good marriage modeled for me growing up. Joe's mom and dad were married for a long time. They had, you know, a good marriage. Uh, I think that there was definitely a lack of affection from his father, uh, which kind of rolls into Joe's um, inability to show affection to me and to our children the way that we need him to. And that's always been a constant communication and something that he's working on and he's very aware of it. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, his family life was quote unquote good compared to mine. But growing up 17 years old, married, not knowing how to do marriage was hard in of itself. And then we joined the army right out of high school. So we went into this life of being in the military, and if you've been around for a while, you know uh, I did 10 years and got out, decided to stay home with the kids, but Joe just retired from 20 years of service. We did the Army and the Coast Guard, and that comes with this whole other ball of like stress, not just moving constantly every three or four years and the stress of that, but the influences that come from the military people. Not everybody's bad, but it, it is full of a lot of people that do not hold good Christian values. They hold a worldview. They do not hold marriage with any sanctity or um, 
seriousness and there's constant drinking and pornography and there was just a lot of influence there that we didn't know at the time because we were young but it was not good for our marriage and you know I've talked about that a lot here on the podcast Uh, If you don't know, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of my other podcasts about some of the struggles that we've had. You know, every marriage struggles, but we've had some significant struggles. And Joe and I have decided to face those head on and not run from them. And that's been difficult. So, you know, everybody has stress in their life, right? We have stress from work. We have stress from relationships. We have stress financially emotionally. I mean, stress comes from all kinds of different places. And you guys, when I was growing up and even in my marriage, I never knew how to deal with stress in a healthy way. I did know that working out made me feel better. Uh, Being in the military, we worked out, you know, a lot. And I know running and working out helped me relieve stress, helped me sleep better, helped me relax. But I never realized, one, that I had a lot of stress in my life. I just thought that was normal. Everything I went through as a kid, foster care, my mom fighting with the neighbors and getting arrested and us having to stay at someone's house and getting evicted, living in hotels. I mean, all the things that I saw as a child, that was normal to me because that's how I was brought up. So if you don't know any better, you don't know any better. I never realized that's not normal, you know? A little kid shouldn't be living through those kinds of things, hearing the conversations I had to hear, seeing the things I had to see, crying the tears that I had to cry. That is not normal. But when you're in it, you don't know any better. Of course, growing up, my goal, my whole goal in my life was to be a good mom, was to not put my children through what my mom and dad put me through and my brothers and my sister, right? So I have tried really hard to break that cycle. And that's good. That's good. It's good to know that no matter where you come from, that doesn't have to define you and that doesn't have to be your future. You can absolutely change it. And it's literally a choice. We all have the ability to change our circumstances or sit in them, right? Uh, So I don't play into this whole, oh, well, that's where I came from. Who cares? Y'all, I came from a freaking trailer park. I grew up in a trailer park most of my life. And not that that trailer parks are bad and that you're poor and, you know, ghetto if you live in a trailer park. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, dang, they got some badass trailers, right? (laughs) You look at some of these modular homes they have nowadays. They're nicer than some of the stick-built homes. But what I'm saying is, We lived in low-income, crappy trailer parks my whole life growing up. It's just the best my mom could do. Or really crappy, cockroach-ridden apartments. You know what I'm saying? So, But I knew I didn't want that for myself. And getting in in the military as young as I did, it was really for a lack of anything better to do. I didn't know what to do with myself. (laughs) I didn't have the money to go to college, for goodness sake. I couldn't even be a cheerleader when I was growing up because my mom couldn't afford the uniform. You know, I couldn't do sports. I couldn't do any of the things. And going to college was completely out of the question. Uh, I might have been able to get a scholarship, but looking back on it now, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what that entailed. I didn't know how to apply for it. I didn't have anybody to help me. It just wasn't something I understood. And so I didn't know that that could potentially be available to me. But joining the military 
gave me so much more than I would have had if we didn't join the military. Um, it just gave us a really good foundation to start our lives on. Health insurance, dental, vision, free college, um, housing, a paycheck every two weeks. You know what I mean? Like it just really set us up for success and put us on the right path. So, you know, it was, it was a hard life and, but I just, I didn't realize how hard it was. And looking back now, I think that, you know, my marriage with Joe, we had this moment in time and it's hard not to kind of give the backstory, but I have other episodes where I go into detail on some of the things that we've been through, but our marriage really hit ahead probably in 2019. No, I'd say 2018 to 2021 was probably some of the worst times in our marriage. And it's crazy because it, would, it was also some of the best. You know, we got the farmhouse. We started the homestead. Like simultaneously, these things are like happening at the same time. We've got all this going on that's wonderful. But then behind the scenes, behind the bedroom door, we were falling apart and we didn't know how to fix it. And, you know, it really stemmed from uh, a life of addiction to pornography and mistakes and things that Joe and I had both made against each other. And I've talked about this in the past and, you know, we are not those people anymore, but it took a lot of counseling and a lot of really hard work and self-reflection to get us where we are right now in 2023. But I think that the last few years did a number on my body and it was probably 2021. I started having like this pain this weird pain in my stomach. And I was just like, what is that? I woke up the middle of the night one night and I felt it like out of nowhere. And I thought, did I pull a muscle? It was weird. It was like this burning pain. And I'm like, I don't know. You know, I got my breast implants removed in 2020. I did a podcast on that as well, talking about why I got them when I was 23 years old and why I decided to take them out in the year 2020. And I'm so happy I did. I've never regretted the decision to get my implants taken out. Not once. I love, love, love my new little boobies. And I love that I'm all me and I don't have to worry about the health risks that come, that can come from implants. But, you know, I thought when I had this pain in the middle of the night, it was after I had my surgery to remove them and I had the implants removed opted to get a breast lift, and then opted to do a fat transfer, which essentially is liposuction. They take the fat, they process it, and then they put that back into your breast to give you volume and a little bit of oomph, because after 15 years of big, heavy implants and having two babies, the oomph was no longer. <laughs> and I'm sure you ladies can understand and relate to where I'm coming from. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it was, it was really one of those things where I was like, I'm going to be under the knife one last time, God willing, to get these things taken out of me. And I told the plastic surgeon, who was phenomenal, I said, do what you can. Like, pull out all the stops, give me a lift, do the fat transfer, just give me something that I can be happy with for the rest of my life. You know, I'm okay with some of the scars because of my choices that I have brought upon myself, but just you know, give me something I can be proud of. And he did. But I thought when I started having this pain in my stomach, 
I thought, is it from my surgery? Like, is it possibly from my liposuction? Is it, I had no clue what it was from you guys, but it didn't really make sense because my surgery was a year prior to when I started having this pain. So it kept on and kept on. It was very, very intermittent. So it was kind of weird. It would come and then it would go for like two or three months. I wouldn't feel the pain anymore. And then all of a sudden it would happen again. And so I was like, what in the world? Did I pull a muscle? Well, no, muscles don't usually take that long to heal. I had no idea what it was. Well, by the time we sold the one acre homestead in Virginia and moved into the apartment, you guys know we moved into an apartment for nine months temporarily until we moved to Alaska, I started having the pain more frequently. And it got to the point where I was like, I think I need to go to the doctor. Like something's wrong. Like I know my body. Um, I'm very health conscious, you guys. I've never done drugs. I, I occasionally drink, but I'm a social drinker. Like if I'm at a barbecue or I might have a glass of wine at home, but I'm, I'm very hypersensitive to drugs and alcohol because of the life I grew up with, right? Both my parents were alcoholics and my mom, um, at one point had a, a pretty bad addiction to pain meds. And so I'm very hypersensitive to those things to the point where I don't even like to take Tylenol and ibuprofen unless I absolutely have to. And I actually will opt to be in pain a lot of times before I will take something like that. I mean, even after my breast implant removal surgery, you guys, I mean, I felt like I got hit by a bus, you know, I mean, just break it down. You know what I'm saying? Like they open that scar back up. They take that implant out. They don't just take the implant out. They have to very methodically and carefully remove the scar tissue capsule that is in close, that the, that in, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Encases the implant, right? So it's like you have this whole scar tissue capsule with the implant inside of it that they pull out of your body. Then I had a breast lift. Then I had the lipo the fat injected back into my breasts, that healing process before I felt 100% from that surgery was probably six to eight weeks. I remember being at week four or five and thinking, oh my God, am I ever going to feel better? I, I literally felt like I got ran over by a Mack truck, you know, bruising all over my body. Um, it was It was a rough recovery, but I'm glad I did it. I barely took pain meds. Like I think I took the pain meds that they prescribed me like the first day, the first 24 hours. And then I took like Tylenol extra strength for like a day and a half after that. And then I stopped taking all the pain meds altogether. Um, I just, sometimes I feel like, you know, our bodies are so much more capable than we give them credit for. And so anyway, I get to the apartment and, <clears throat> excuse me, I start having this pain in my stomach more frequently. So I go to my primary care doctor and I explain my symptoms and he's like, you know, I have a couple suspicions of what it might be. He's like, but we're not going to go and let, or we're not going to know unless we go down with an endoscopy and see what's going on in your stomach. So basically that's where they put a, they put you under, they put a camera down your throat into your esophagus, into your stomach and your, uh, right at the upper intestine. Uh, not the lower intestine, that would be a colonoscopy, but my issues were more of like the upper GI region. So I went in for this endoscopy right before we moved to Alaska. Um, I think it was like a month, month and a half before we left Alaska, or Virginia to come to Alaska. 
and come to find out I have three ulcers. And so if you guys look at like the anatomy of a human and you look at, you know, you've got your esophagus and your throat, it comes down into your stomach and then your stomach kind of curves up and it goes into this little section of the upper intestinal area right before you get into the intestine, which is called the duodenal region. And I might be saying that wrong, uh, but it's just this little part at the very end of your stomach, right when you head into the very beginning of your intestine. Uh, and that's where all three of my ulcers are. Now they're fairly small ulcers. They measured them and I think they were like seven millimeters, but I have three of them. So I come out of this procedure and I'm like, I have ulcers. How do I have ulcers? Like usually, you know, you get into your, your later years before you start having issues with ulcers or there's basically three things that can give you an ulcer. H. pylori bacteria is one of the number one causes of ulcers. And if you have ulcers because of this bacteria, it's treated with an antibiotic. And typically you recover pretty quick from it as long as they get rid of that bacteria. The other thing is abuse of NSAIDs, which is medications like ibuprofen that are really hard on your stomach lining. Well, I knew that wasn't it for me because I am hypersensitive and like anti-drug, right? I don't, I don't take a lot of medication Occasionally over the years, if I had a really bad backache or a headache, I might take an ibuprofen, but I definitely never abused it. I did not have the H. pylori bacteria because they tested me for it when they went in for the endoscopy and that came back negative. So, you know, a lot of alcohol use, stress, those kinds of things can also cause ulcers. And I really, truly believe that my ulcers probably... Uh, came from stress. And, you know, there's a little bit of controversy over can stress really cause ulcers? Well, some studies say yes, some say probably not, but that uh, stress can cause an increase in stomach acid and acid reflux and things like that. Well, acid reflux can cause ulcers and, you know, too much stomach acid can cause ulcers. It can irritate the stomach lining. And basically what an ulcer is, it's like a sore on your stomach lining. So it's kind of eroded that area over time. And if you don't take care of it, it can actually cause a hole. It can eat right through the lining of your stomach and then all of your bile is leaking out into your body, which it could kill you, right? It's not good. So as soon as I found that I had these ulcers, I'm like, okay, well, dang, how do I get rid of them? And you guys, I've always been healthy. My whole life, I've always been healthy. And, you know, I've never had a broken bone. I have never had anything significant, really. And so I'm my whole thing is, okay, how do I get rid of them? Like, I want to be normal again. I don't want to feel this pain. How do I get rid of them? And they basically said, well, we're going to put you on this medication. It's a proton pump inhibitor, which basically lowers the acid in your stomach. And the idea is that it gives the ulcer a chance to heal because the acid has been lowered in your stomach, right? So it's not gonna irritate it as much. So I started taking this medication, kicking and screaming, because I hate taking medication. I'm like, isn't there an herb I can take or an essential oil? <laughs> I'm like, I don't wanna take this medicine. I'm looking at like side effects, long-term side effects. I'm like, I don't wanna be on this crap. Like how long do I have to take it? And they're like, at least four to six weeks. You have to be on it for at least four to six weeks to give the ulcers time to heal. So I start this medication and 
the ulcer pain is not subsiding. It's continuing and it's getting worse. And if you don't know, ulcer pain basically is like this dull, aching burn in your stomach. And it's, I always explain it like if you take a burning ember from your fireplace and you stick it right in the center of your stomach, like kind of in between your breastbone. You guys know the bread basket. Like as kids, we would like joke and hit each other in the bread basket because it would knock the wind out of you. Or is it just me? See, we did some crazy stuff in the trailer park, y'all. But like your bread basket area, right under your boobs, um, it that's where it hurts. And it's like you stuck this burning ember in the center of my stomach. And sometimes the burning pain goes all the way through to my back. It'll wake me up in the middle of the night. It'll come out of nowhere. One day I won't feel anything. The next day I feel it all day. And you guys know wherever there's pain, it brings you down mentally and emotionally, right? Just like someone that has cancer or someone that has a, some type of disease or they're sick, anytime you, your body and your immune system is compromised, you're not feeling good, it takes a toll on you mentally and emotionally for sure. So I'm on this medication for four weeks. The pain is not going away. And then all of a sudden at the apartment, I start having massive headaches and migraines. And I don't get headaches and migraines. And you guys, one night I got out of the shower and I had such a migraine, I was bawling my eyes out. I took a 500 milligram extra strength Tylenol. After about an hour, that didn't even touch it. So I took another one. So a thousand milligrams of extra strength Tylenol. And somehow by the grace of God, I was able to just fall asleep. And I told Joe the next day, I said, I can't do this anymore. Cause that was one of the side effects of that medication was significant headaches. And you guys, significant headaches and migraines can be debilitating, literally. That night, I couldn't, I couldn't look at the light. I couldn't, no one could talk to me. I sat in the room in the dark. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. So I had been on it for four weeks. They told me four to six weeks could heal the ulcers. So I'm like, maybe I'll get lucky. Maybe the ulcers are healed. I'm, I'm not taking this medication anymore because I can't live with these headaches. So I told my doctor, I said, I'm done. I'm not taking this medicine anymore. We'll see what happens, see if the ulcers are healed. Well, then we had the whole move from Virginia to Alaska, right? So let's add some more stress into the mix. Going through the Canadian border with the crazy agents that were just mean for no reason and they didn't have to be. Um, I mean, duh, right? Moving from Virginia to Alaska, driving across country for 10 days with the two dogs and Parker and Joe and all the stuff that comes along with that the ferry for three days. I mean, there was a lot of stress there. It was an adventure for sure, but there was definitely anxiousness. There was definitely stress. And I don't think that really helped out the situation with the ulcers. So we get to Alaska and we've been here now for four months and you guys, the ulcers have just gotten worse. And, uh, I finally went to my primary care doctor here and I told him what had, what was happening, what happened in Virginia, and he said, okay, let's, let's try a different medication. And I'm just like, oh Lord, here we go. I'm like, can't you just give me some like rosemary or something? Either something else. I don't want to do no more medication. And he's like, Tina, I get it. He's like, I understand. He's like, but you have to heal these ulcers. If you continue to let them go, you're going to run into significant issues that are going to be worse than what you're dealing with now. So he ended up putting me on a medication called sucralfate, and it's very different than the medication that I was on before. It was not a proton uh, pump inhibitor. Gosh, I think I'm saying that right. Um, 
It's not one that reduces the stomach acid. It's actually a pill that you take four times a day. And what it does is it coats your stomach with a, a protective coating so that no matter what you eat and drink throughout the day, it can't touch the ulcer. It can't irritate the ulcer, inevitably giving the ulcer a chance to heal properly. So this medication I'm supposed to be on for eight weeks, two months, right? So for two months, I take this medication and two weeks before that two month period was up, I started having like worse pain to the point where there was days me and Joe would be cutting firewood and I would be like, I can't, I got to sit down. I can't do this anymore. I mean, it felt like someone just took like a fire poker and stuck it in the center of my stomach. You guys, it was, there was days I cried. I just told Joe, I'm like, this sucks. You know, we're retired. We're living our dream in Alaska and I can't enjoy it. Like I have days that are good, but then I have days that are really, really bad. And I can't be a part of anything you're doing. I'm stuck in the cabin crying, depressed with pain. So I went back to the doctor and I'm like, something's wrong. I'm, I've been on this medication for six weeks and not only are my symptoms still there, they're getting worse. So he gives me a referral and says, basically, Tina, we need you to go back in for another endoscopy. We've got to put a camera down there. We've got to see why these aren't healing. We got to see what's going on. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I don't want to go back under. You guys, I am not the young 23-year-old Tina that got breast implants. It's like, put me under anesthesia. I don't care. I just want big boobies. Like anesthesia, nothing's going to happen to me. No, I'm 40, almost 41 years old with children. And I'm just like, I know the risks of anesthesia and I rather not thank you. <laughs> and even though this isn't like the deep anesthesia that they put you under for surgeries, they're still using fentanyl and other things that could be dangerous and putting you under, sedating you for this procedure, whether they go down your throat with this camera. And I'm just like, so I get this referral and I leave and I'm like, oh, hell no. Like, I am not trying to go back in for another endoscopy. Like, what in the world? So I started doing some research online and I'm, I'm reading all about honey, honey from bees and how healing honey can be for a lot of things, but also for ulcers. And so it was saying, take a full you know, heaping teaspoon twice a day of honey. And not only does it coat your stomach, it also has antibacterial properties, anti-inflammatory, like all these things, right? Natural honey. And we still have a ton of our homegrown honey from our bees in Virginia. So I start taking two big old teaspoons of honey a day in addition to the medication that's coating my stomach. And we went out, you guys know, if you're watching the YouTube channel, we went out to our remote cabin a couple weeks ago and spent like three or four days out there. And I'm knocking on wood, right? But since the day after we went to the cabin, all of a sudden, my symptoms lessened, right? Every day, I was feeling less pain, less pain, less pain. And all of a sudden... I'm barely having any pain. In fact, most days I don't even feel anything at all. And I'm almost afraid to say that out loud because I'm afraid I'm going to jinx myself. <laughs> I mean, you guys, this pain in my stomach started in 2021, right? So this is the first time I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm actually feeling better. So I don't know if it's the honey. I don't know if it's the sucralfate medication that they have me on or if it's a combination of the two. And the ulcers are finally starting to heal. I don't know exactly what it is. All I know is I'm finally feeling better. So 
I called my doctor, you know, because I was only supposed to take the medication for two months. And I basically called him at the two-month mark. This was just the other day. And I said, you know, I know you only wanted me on this for two months. However, I did some research on the Internet because that's what I do. I do my own research. I don't, I don't take what doctors say at face value. Um, they're great people, but I've been misdirected by a lot of medical professionals and dental professionals in the past. So I trust but verify, right? So the internet says that depending on the ulcer, it could take six weeks to heal with this medication. It could take eight weeks. And then for some people, it could take up to 12 weeks for that ulcer to heal 100%. So I called my doctor and I was like, I'm feeling a lot better. I didn't go back in for that endoscopy. Um, I'm going to hold off on that. The referral's good for like six months, so there's no rush. It's there if I need it, but I don't want to go back in if I don't have to, especially when I'm feeling significant relief right now. And I asked him, I said, what are your thoughts on me continuing the sucrophate for four more weeks, for another month, essentially uh, 12 weeks, right? Total. And it's because even though I'm feeling better, you guys, I still, every once in a while, I'm feeling like a tinge of that burn. Like it's it's still there. So that tells me that it's not 100% healed. And I'm scared that if I stop taking the medication right now, I will undo the last two months of healing that we've done on the ulcers. So I don't have any negative side effects from this medication at all, not that I've noticed. I do get kind of thirsty sometimes and have dry mouth, but that's pretty much it. Um, so anyway, we have we have agreed that I will take this medication for the next month, and hopefully by the grace of God, these freaking ulcers will be healed and this I can get on with my life, right? But I say all this to say that I think my ulcers are really a result of the life I've lived. And obviously, they're probably not something I had my whole life because I probably would have had symptoms a lot earlier, but my body has been very adapted to stress and high levels of cortisol from stress. And high levels of cortisol reduces your immune system's ability to fight things off and to run properly. It can cause all kinds of issues. And I really think that maybe now that we are here in Alaska. The move is done. Joe and I are at a totally different place in our marriage than before. Um, we've just done a lot of healing and a lot of work to get where we are right now. I feel like my body is finally like, you know, okay, we're, we're not stressing out so much. And maybe that's kind of helping too with the ulcers healing. So I was doing some research on uh, stress, right? And it's pretty amazing um, if you're stressed out constantly, you guys, it's actually really bad for you. It's really bad for you. It can cause aches and pains. It can cause chest pain, feelings like your heart's racing, exhaustion, and even trouble sleeping. You can have insomnia, right, which I've dealt with that. Headaches, dizziness, you can get the shakes, high blood pressure, muscle tension, jaw clenching, like if you wake up in the morning and your jaws hurt, um, stomach and digestive problems, right? Trouble having sex. I mean, there's just like a ton of issues that can come from stress. And you guys know the stress hormone is cortisol, right? And our body needs a healthy level of cortisol, but too much cortisol can actually be bad for you as well. So when you're stressed out 
the hormone cortisol is released and having this in high volumes is not good for your body. It can cause anxiety, it can cause depression, fatigue, gastrointestinal upset like constipation, bloating, diarrhea, headaches, heart disease, irritability. I mean, just a plethora of issues can come from having too much cortisol. And you know, the nighttime hormone is melatonin, right? So our body releases cortisol in the morning and throughout the day, and then it kind of fizzles out at a certain point. And then at a certain point in the day, your melatonin starts to be released, which is your your tired hormone, right? It's the, the hormone that's released to help you sleep and help you be tired. Well, if there's raised levels of cortisol, it's combating that melatonin, not really allowing you to sleep the way that you should be. So, you know, just think about that, guys. Like if you if you have a lot of stress in your life, like it's not it's not something to take lightly. It's not uh, funny. It's going to have an effect on you. Maybe not right now. You know, if you're in your young 20s or even your 30s or it may not affect you right now. But eventually your body cannot sustain those level of levels of stress for extended periods of time like that. It's going to start breaking down your body functions and systems and you're going to have issues. And I really do believe that's where my ulcers came from. You know, I don't have a drinking problem. I don't overtake medication. I didn't have the H. pylori bacteria. The one thing that was constant that I had a, a plethora of, plenty of it, was stress right? My whole life. <laughs> and and even more so the last few years, like I was saying. So, you know, looking at uh, ways that you can relieve stress, you know, like I said, working out is one of, one of the best ways to relieve stress. You work out, your brain releases the endorphins, the feel-good hormone, serotonin. I mean, it's it's just, it's amazing. You sleep better, you can breathe better, you feel relaxed. Working out is a fantastic way to relieve stress and anxiety. Another thing you can do is meditate. Um, I personally have never meditated. I think that I kind of relate this to my quiet time with the Lord. Like when I sit down and I read the Bible and I pray, that's, you know, to me, that's meditation, just some quiet time to yourself and the Lord. Sometimes connecting with others can help relieve stress. You know, if they're healthy relationships, um, laughter and good conversation, that can be really good for you as well. And certain exercises like yoga, this kind of goes into like the meditation, just kind of like mind, body, and soul. A big thing is getting enough sleep, right? So that's kind of the problem with stress is it can affect your sleep. You have insomnia, you're tossing and turning, you can't shut your brain off. You guys, my brain never stops. And, and I, get up to pee at least two or three times a night. And every time I get up, I'm tossing and turning for 30 to 45 minutes to an hour, just trying to fall back asleep because my mind instantly starts going into my to-do list. What do I have to do tomorrow? Oh, that YouTube video, I gotta do that thumbnail for that. And I've gotta call the doctor about this and my taxes are due and blah, 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 right? Especially as women, like that's what we do. Like our brains just never stop and we're not getting the sleep that we need. And that in of itself, can cause stress and irritability. So making sure that you're getting a good amount of sleep is so crucial. And I know for everybody that's different. Some people need, you know, people are like, oh, you need at least eight hours of sleep a day. You guys, I can't, I can't do that. My body actually hurts. 
if I sleep too much, I wake up and I have body aches and I just feel groggy and I don't feel very good. My sweet spot is between like six and seven hours. I wake up and I feel good. I'm energized and refreshed and, and I feel good with six to seven hours of sleep. But getting sleep is crucial and keeping a journal. You know, that's something I started a while back. I haven't picked it back up since we uh, moved here to Alaska, but I was doing that. I was actually keeping a prayer journal, which was kind of cool. If you've never done that uh, with your daily devotions, you know, make a prayer journal of, you know, what you're thankful for, uh, what the blessings you're thankful for, your prayer requests and things like that. And what's really cool about that, you guys, is going back later and reading the prayer requests and seeing the prayers that the Lord has answered for you. That's kind of neat. But journaling and getting your thoughts down on paper can be really helpful. I'm a, I'm a big uh, pen and paper kind of person. Like my to-do list isn't on my phone. I actually have a pad and a pen. I like writing it out. I like putting a little box and checking the box when I'm done with it. It's just mentally, it's a way for me to relieve stress. So try journaling, but there's a lot of different ways that you can work on relieving stress. But I just wanted to, I don't know, I just felt it on my heart to come and chat with you guys today about stress and anxiety and kind of, you know, what it can do to your body. Obviously, I'm not a doctor. You guys can go online and read. There is so much uh, information and studies that have been done on this. And you've got to find a way to regulate the amount of stress that you're having. And you know, where's the stress coming from, right? Like we were saying in the beginning of the show, it could be coming from financial issues. Well, maybe you need to sit down and create a budget. Maybe you need to get a different job. Um, something has to give, right? Nothing's ever going to change if nothing ever changes. That's what I always say. Nothing's ever going to change. Like, it's like the definition of insanity, right? You keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. That is the definition of insanity, Nothing's going to change if nothing changes. So is your stress coming from finances? Is your stress coming from relationships, right? Like my, a big part of my stress was my relationship with Joe, the, the most important person in my life, right? So that was a, a pain point for me. That was a point of heartache. That was a point of stress and anxiety. Um, my whole life is, is evolves around him. And so if it's a relationship, sometimes there are relationships that can be salvaged and that are worthy of being salvaged, like my marriage with Joe. Some relationships aren't. You know, you got a girlfriend that's talking behind your back, causing drama. You got a coworker that's up in your business. You got a family member. Like, you guys, we have to take control of our lives because if we don't, no one's going to do it for us. And when you don't take control and you don't set healthy boundaries, you're essentially saying you're okay with the way you're being treated. And you're not, you're not putting yourself first. And a lot of times I know, especially as women, we have a hard time doing that because it makes us feel selfish. But you guys, we wear a lot of hats. And if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy, right? So sometimes healthy boundaries have to be put up in relationships. And sometimes that means cutting relationships out of your life. That's, that's just the way it goes. And... You know, especially the ones where you've told them over and over again and you guys have talked about the issues and like and, and they just continue to keep doing the same things over and over again. That is not a healthy relationship. And that's a, that's a stress point for you. So there's a lot of things that could be work. You might need to go find yourself a new job. I mean, seriously, I have worked in some really, 
really bad situations. And other than the military, uh, you know, you do have an option to quit and find something else. It might take you a little time, right? It might not be something you just do right away because we got bills, we got kids to take care of. But if, unless you're locked into the military contract and you're, you know, you can't really change that until your enlistment's up or whatever, do something about it because nothing changes if nothing changes. But all I'm just trying to say to you guys is, I guess from 40, almost 41-year-old Tina, looking back on all the, the situations I've been in my life, there were so many that I put myself in and I allowed myself to be in and I should have removed myself from that position or that situation because it caused me major stress. And it's just not worth it. Your health is worth it. And your health will start to decline if you don't put yourself first. So, you know, I can't be 100% sure that my ulcers came from stress, but it sure seems like they did. And I don't really know what to attribute the healing that I've had here in the last couple weeks to. I don't know if it's, you know, that our life is finally leveling out here in Alaska. We have a lot of the stress points we had before. We don't have the Coast Guard trying to kick Joe out because he wouldn't get vaccinated, take, trying to take his retirement pension away from him. I mean, there was so much stress there for a while. And now we're here, settled in, bought our remote cabin, just went out for a vacation with the boys for four days. Like We're finally getting to just relax and do the things that we came to Alaska to do. And so maybe my body's just doing better because I don't have all the stress points hitting me left and right all the time. And that coupled with the medication and the honey, right? Um, I think a lot of times we just, we discount the, the healing powers of natural things like honey and herbs and things like that. But all I know is I'm starting to feel a little bit better, you guys, and I'm so grateful and I hope it continues. I I'll update you guys, but you know, in another month or two and let you know how it's going. If after this month, if my symptoms aren't 100% gone, I don't really think I have any other choice but to go back in for another endoscopy to see why they're not healing. And one point of concern for me is when they were in there for the endoscopy, they did find something else that they didn't seem too concerned about, but that could potentially become an issue. I have a two centimeter hiatal hernia. So a hiatal hernia, basically your esophagus, right? Where your food goes down and meets your stomach. Your diaphragm is a muscle that, um, trying to say it for the podcast in case you don't know what this looks like. You have a horizontal, so sideways muscle. That's your diaphragm. Your diaphragm essentially separates your upper chest cavity, which houses your heart, your lungs, all those things from your lower uh, digestive cavity, which is all of your stomach, intestines, and things like that. Well, the esophagus, there's a hole in your diaphragm. And it's, you know, the way God created us, because he is so wonderful, it essentially is just big enough for your esophagus to go through. So the food travels down through your esophagus, goes through that hole in the diaphragm into your stomach. Well, the problem is a hiatal hernia is when that hole that the esophagus is going through is bigger than it's supposed to be. 
So what happens is your stomach, which is in your lower digestive cavity, starts to push up, starts to push up through that hole into your upper chest cavity where your lungs and your heart is, right? Isn't that freaking scary? <laughs> like what? But you know, my hiatal hernia is not considered to be significant. In fact, they don't even consider it like surgery worthy because it's just a small two centimeter uh, hernia. So the chances of my issue, my pain that I'm having being from like my stomach pushing up into my chest cavity is not likely. Um, and I really hope that's not what it is because the only way to fix that is surgery and the surgery, you know, they say it's like 50, 50% success rate and it's a, it's a very invasive surgery. They go into your stomach, they pull your stomach back down under the diaphragm where it should be. They tack it into place and then they close up that hole that the esophagus goes through to make it smaller the way it should have been so that the stomach can no longer push up into the upper chest cavity. But it's a very invasive surgery. So it's either you get the surgery or you just find ways to deal with the pain from it. And if you look up ulcers and you look up hiatal hernia, the symptoms are very similar. It's a dull aching pain right there in, your, in between your breastbone, your breasts. Um, so it's interesting. I, I don't really know. Like, is it the hiatal hernia or is it the ulcers? The gastroenterologist that did my endoscopy was not concerned about the hiatal hernia. She said she'd seen them all the time. It was not a big one. She didn't think that's where my issues were coming from. She thought that it was from the, the ulcers. So I'm just going to roll with that for now. Uh, but if it's not better in the next month, I'll have to go back in for another endoscopy and see what's going on. But the reality is these issues that I'm having, if they do not get corrected, they can potentially cause cancers and all kinds of major issues. Stomach cancer, esophageal cancers, you know, depending on if it's the ulcers or the hernia that's causing my problems. I mean, there's a lot of things that can come from it. So I'm very on top of it right now, trying to get this fixed and healed, whatever it is, so that I can get on with my life. <laughs> But anyway, you guys, I hope you enjoyed today's show. I was just chit-chatting with you guys. It was on my heart. Um, it's been a really big part of my life, especially the last couple months with the pain that I've been in. I don't really talk about it too much on the YouTube channel just because, you know, we've been so busy sharing other things over there. But the podcast is kind of behind the scenes of the homestead. So behind the scenes, that's what I've been dealing with. Three ulcers in my stomach. So pray for me, would you? I greatly appreciate it. <laughs> but really, you guys, I hope that uh, I hope that you kind of heed what I said about the stress. Just take take a look at your life, see where the stress points are coming from, and see what you can do to start remedying that. Because stress will eventually take a toll on you. It's a very real thing, and uh, we all want to be healthy, right? Nobody wants to live life unhealthy. That's not fun for anybody. We only get one life to live, so. Let's make it our best life. All right, you guys, if you're not following me over on the YouTube channel, you can check me out at Home Free Alaska. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Same handle, Home Free Alaska. We'll see you guys over there and we'll talk to you really soon.